He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Super Scientist Nano Girl is on a mission to show everyone the wonders of science. She's joined by her trusty sidekick, the constantly learning Artificial Intelligence Repository. We call her Claire. Let's cross now to Nano Girl's secret lab. I'm a computer, Nano Girl. I do not sleep. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, good morning. Is it morning? Of course it is. My light sensor tells me it's still dark. Can you not hear the birds? Yes, but it is also still dark. Why are you awake? Oh, science never sleeps. And I had a brilliant idea at two o'clock and I wanted to try it out right now. The early bird catches a worm, you know. Why do you want to catch a worm? Hey, Kai. Oh, gross. No, I don't want to eat a worm. It's, um, it's one of those odd human sayings. Right, I want to start my experiment. Breakfast first. And while you're eating, here's a question from Jasper in Wellington. Hi, my name's Jasper. I'm 12 and I'm from Mount Cook School, Wellington, and I was wondering how high can birds fly? Oh, what a great question. Gosh, that's one I really don't know the answer to. I reckon my friend Colin, who works at Tapapa, might, though. He knows all about birds. Let's go. It's only 6am, Nano Girl. Oh, Colin will be awake. He's a bird researcher. He'll be up with the sparrows. Does he work on sparrows? Oh, I don't know. It's just another saying, Claire. I'll explain it later. Anyway, I need to get Jasper from school, and that's a long way away, even as the crow flies. You cannot fly like a crow. Oh, Claire, it's just another... Never mind. Let's fire up the jet vault. All right, got to come in for a landing. I think that's the right playground there. What's that thing in the playground? Oh, How did it get there? Hi. Oh, cool. Hi, Cook School. Oh, perfect. Phew, GPS is working. Okay, um, I was looking for Jasper. Has anybody seen Jasper? Ooh, that's me. Hey, Jasper, you submitted a question to the Nano Girl Lab. Uh, I was wondering how high can birds fly? That's right, how high can birds fly? Probably not as high as my spaceship. <laughs> I don't really know, but I thought maybe we could go on an adventure and try and find an expert. Would anybody like to come with me? Oh, I would. I Cool. All right, everybody squeeze in. Ready? Squeeze! Okay, should we go super, super high? Yeah! Oh, hey, Colin. Hey, Nano Girl. I see you've been practicing your parallel parking since you were here last. <laughs> More like my crash landings. But yes, you're just who we're looking for. Everybody, this is Colin Miskelly. Hey, I'm curator of vertebrates here at Tapapa, opposite Mount Cook School, but it's a long way by spaceship. It is a long way by spaceship. I was hoping you had some time, because we have a question for you. I was wondering how high can birds fly? That's a great question, and I think we might have to go down into the dungeons to find the answer. It's where <laughs> we keep our special stuff, and we thought we might go and open a few cabinets and see what's inside. All right, let's go to the basement. Okay, welcome everyone to the bird room. Now, what do you notice when you come into this room? 
Oh, it's it smells. <laughs> and what do you think that smell might be? A dead Yeah, it's preservative to stop insects eating these special birds that we keep in this room. Cool. So, Jasper, your question was how high can birds fly? But how high do you think we are right now? We're down in the basement. How high do you think we are? Um, a couple hundred feet above sea level? Yeah, yeah probably yeah. maybe... Underground level, but above sea level. Underground level, but above sea level. So, Colin, how do we how do we measure how high things are? Yeah, well, we measure an altitude, which is usually given as meters above sea level. And if any of you climbed up to the top of Mount Kaukau, yes. that's around about 450 meters above sea level, and that might feel quite high when you've climbed up there. But just imagine if a seagull flew past you when you're on top there and it was about a metre above your head. How would we describe how high that is? Very high. 501 metres above sea level? Yeah, well, that's right. You know, it might look like it's only two metres up, but actually it's more than 450 metres up. And that's when we're measuring height, we have to think about what is our baseline. So it's not how high it is from the ground that we're standing on, it's how high it is from the yeah, sea. Yeah, that, that's right. Why do we measure it from sea level? It's a height that people understand the whole way around the world. And so if you're flying in an aircraft and you're going to another country, usually they fly at about 10,000 metres. And just to put that into perspective with mountains... The highest mountain in the world is Mount Everest, and that's about 8,000 metres. And so when you're in an aeroplane flying really high, you're even higher than the highest mountains on the planet. That's crazy. There is a mountain which is taller than Everest, but like most of it's underwater. Ah, well, that's interesting because that's an example of people measuring a mountain from the planet crust rather than from sea level and so that's another example of using a different baseline but today we might stick with sea level. As you get higher does it get more difficult to fly? It certainly does and there's a couple of different reasons for that. It's all to do with gravity really but one of them is that as you get higher the air is thinner so it means that birds wings have to do a lot more work to keep the bird above the ground and the other problem is that the oxygen is more dispersed at those higher altitudes. So the further you get from sea level, the less oxygen there is. And if you're a bird that's using a lot of energy to flap those wings, they need a lot of oxygen. And so that's where it gets really tough to fly high. Does that mean that the birds that fly higher have um, more well-developed lungs so that they can breathe easier? Overall, birds have better lungs than mammals. You know that when you breathe, your lungs fill up like a sack or a bag and then when you breathe out it all comes back out through your nostrils or through your mouth but with birds their lungs work in two directions so they have air sacs around their body in their wing bones under the skin and so when their lungs squeeze the air out it can go into these air sacs and then go back through the lungs again so it means that with every beat of their wings air is getting too chances to go through their lungs for the oxygen to be removed. So that's a really efficient way of getting oxygen out of the air and that helps some birds go to really high altitudes where mammals like people couldn't possibly breathe. How do we measure how high a bird can fly? The best information we have on how high some birds can fly is unfortunately due to accidents. So I talked before about flying high in an aeroplane 
and usually if you're flying between countries it's about 10,000 metres and the highest ever recorded bird was a vulture hitting an aeroplane at more than 11,000 metres up in the air. That's pretty high. That's really high. That's 3,000 metres higher than Mount Everest. Whoa. Whoa. And so is there anything left of the vulture when it hits a plane? I don't know about the vulture, but we've got some examples here in Te Papa of what happens when a bird hits a plane. I'm guessing it's not good. No, it's not good for the bird. And we have a very special word that we use for the remains of birds that are found on damaged aircraft. Does anybody know what that word might be? Skykill? Skykill is <laughs> a good one. We, we call them snarge. Snarge. And over here I have an example of some snarge. And so this oh, is yeah. the remains of a bird called a skua, a migratory gross. bird. I can see yes. lots of feathers. feathers. See can I see it again, Is that its head? That's it. That's gross. The of the oh, there's like a lot of like dried up like blood and like yeah, quite a lot of feathers. And this was hit by an aeroplane that was coming in to land at Auckland Airport. So it had already come down from 10,000 metres. But when it hit the skua, it was still about 4,000 metres above the ground. And who knows what the highest mountain is in New Zealand? Mount Jason? Cook. Mount Cook. Aoraki Mount Cook. And that's about 3,700 metres. So this skua was 300 metres higher than New Zealand's highest mountain when it was hit. But that's still only about a third as high as that vulture that we talked about. So maybe we should go and show you what a long-tailed skua looks like. That sounds like a good plan. Okay, we're going to have to move some of these shelves around. So we were going to ask the question, does a long-tailed skua have a long tail? Yes. It does. does. That's a pretty long tail. Right, so that's an example of the bird that turned into snarge. Why do they have long tails? It's part of their courtship. So up on their breeding grounds, up in the high Arctic, so in places like Alaska, they look really pretty. They have these long tails. But when they're down in the southern hemisphere on migration, they molt the tail because they have to grow it again. And so a lot of the birds seen around New Zealand don't have very long tails. And, of course, that one that turned into snarge, I don't think there are any tail feathers left at all. (laughs) Does the tail help the bird to fly? Um, It does. It helps with steering. So birds often use their tails to to change direction quickly. And that's why a fantail has a big broad tail because they need to turn quickly to catch flying insects. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, who knows any New Zealand birds that live up in mountains? Kaka or Kia? Kia, yeah. Kia is famous around the world for being the only alpine parrot and alpine is the word we use for things that live up in the mountains. Okay, so this is actually an example of a flying Kia mount. So this is a Kia that's been prepared to look like it's flying. And this is an example of a bird with really broad wings, and that gives you a clue to how it flies. So on the table behind you, I've got some examples of some quite big wings that we might have a look at. Does a bigger wing mean it can fly higher? Well, yes and no. If you look at these wings, they're both big, but what can you notice about the two wings? What's different about them? This one is a lot wider than the one at the bottom. 
That's and right. The bottom's really long. Yeah, so one of them's long and skinny, and that big long wing here is actually the wing off a royal albatross, and they have a wingspan of nearly three metres. It's huge. Wow, that wingspan would be twice as big as me. So you'd think a bird with a three-metre wingspan could fly really high, but albatrosses generally fly quite close to the sea surface, and they are a seabird, so they're one bird where there's no problem of saying how high are they flying, because you know where the sea level is if you're on a boat. But this other wing is an example from a big eagle called a white-bellied sea eagle. And the reason I've brought that one out of the collection is that it's a very similar wing shape to a vulture. And we talked before that the highest bird that we know about for flight was a vulture that was hit by an aircraft at more than 11,000 metres above the ground. And so that gives a clue that some of our highest flying birds have really broad wings because we've already talked about how thin the air is at high altitude. And so to support a heavy bird body, you need really broad wings like the shape of this eagle's wing. How big wings would we need if we were able to fly? How big wings would people need to fly? Well, a lot of that would depend on how heavy you are because it's all about the ratio between wing area and your body weight. As any animal gets bigger, its weight, which is related to its body's volume, increases by a factor of three, but the wings only increase by a factor of two. And so if you want to be able to support a heavy body weight, you need really enormous wings, which is why the idea of elephants flying with their ears is a little bit far-fetched, if you know the story of Dumbo. <laughs> but I've been done seen And the reality is that if people were to fly of their own power, you would need wings bigger than a hang glider. How do birds survive when they fly up so high? Yeah, that's an interesting question too, because what would they be eating? And there are a few birds which seem to be able to stay up in the air almost continuously. So these big birds like albatrosses and vultures don't fly continuously. An albatross will sit on the sea when it's a bit tired. But there's a group of birds called the swifts, which have tiny little legs, and they're not very good at perching. And so what they do when it's nighttime is they just fly higher and higher and higher, and they just cruise around up in the air at night. So they're actually sleeping while they're flying. So what's the advantage of flying high? We've mentioned before that the air is a lot thinner at high altitudes, but it can also travel at high speeds. And if you're a migrating bird, getting up high in what we call the jet stream can save a lot of energy. And so some of the birds that fly the longest distances to come to New Zealand include the godwit, and they can fly for eight days without stopping. And we don't actually know how high above sea level they do that. And it could be they are flying higher than that skewer at 4,000 metres, and we just don't know. So until little tracking devices are deployed that measure altitude and not just where the bird is, which is usually we call that latitude and longitude, we probably won't know that answer. But my guess is that Godwits are actually our high-altitude champion, and we just haven't discovered how to measure that yet.
Wow. Well, thank you, Colin. Jasper, do you feel like you've had your question answered? Yeah. Was this, this cool? It's been so fun. Thanks for having us. You're, You're very great. welcome. We'll see you later, Colin. Bye, okay, Colin. Okay, see Bye. you all later. <laughs> discovered that it's a species of vulture that can fly higher than Mount Everest is tall. Whoa, that's high. What a great fact to add to my database. Awesome. Now I'm heading to the secret lab. Have you ever wondered how planes fly? Well, if you take a look at an aeroplane wing, you will see that it's a different shape on the top to the bottom. And that's using a principle called Bernoulli's theory, which states that faster-flowing air creates lower pressure. So what happens is the shape of the wing makes fast-flowing air go over the top of the wing and slow-moving air go on the bottom. And that means it's low pressure on the top of the wing and the high pressure underneath pushes the plane up. And that's how they fly. Now, we can show you this experiment all you need is a ping pong ball and a hairdryer. So grab your ping pong ball and take the hairdryer and you're going to turn the hairdryer and point it upwards towards the sky. And that's going to create fast flowing air in a column. Now you're going to try and balance your ball in the stream of air and see if you can walk around with it balanced in that Bernoulli's principle column of air. The fast flowing air is going to keep it in low pressure and all the slow air moving around you should actually keep the ball in. Let's see how far you can go. And once it's balanced in there, you should be able to walk around and if you're really careful, tilt the hairdryer to the side and you should find that you can keep it going against gravity in this invisible stream of air. And so there you go. That's how you use Bernoulli's principle to make planes fly and also to make ping pong balls hover. Uploaded. To have your own science adventure, check out the video on the RNZ website. It's got all of the instructions that you're going to need to make things fly. Have a go and let us know how you get on by emailing us at scienceadventures at rnz.co.nz. Thanks, Claire. Right, what to do next? I've got all day on my hands because I got up at Sparrow's Fart. Sparrow's Fart? Oh, Claire, no, it's just another saying. But that's an interesting question. Hmm. Finding out if sparrows fart may be another great science adventure. Thanks for listening to Nano Girl's Great Science Adventure. And thanks to Colin Miskelly and to Papa for helping us to answer this week's question. Special thanks too to Jasper and his friends at Mount Cook School. Listen to Nano Girl's Great Science Adventure on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and most other podcast apps. Click on the subscribe button and get every episode straight to your device. You don't want to miss next week's episode when we find out about a hagfish, a very slippery and slimy creature. If you have a great question, you can email us at scienceadventures at rnz.co.nz. And if you've had a go at the experiment, send us a photo of the finished product. This podcast couldn't have been made without Dr. Michelle Dickinson, Sophie Fern, Janet Van, Joe Davis, Crystal Lee Brown, Liz Garten, Anna Toby, Claire Easton, Farrelly, Pinky Fang, and all the incredible RNZ sound engineers and our executive producer, Tim Watkin. Nano Girl's great science adventures made possible by the New Zealand On Air Innovation Fund. <laughs> <laughs>